0: Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Taryn Mays, and special guest, Jerrica Olson.
1: I feel like saying yay right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey guys, it's Taryn. So happy to be back. Yeah, you've Do been I just gone for a, a while. I know. it's uh, It's been a minute, but I'm happy to be back and particularly back today with Jerrica. You are just one of my favorite people and I'm excited for um, our listeners to get to just hear from you and uh, hear about the ministry that you lead. So last week, you guys know that we talked about the cultural, theological, and practical implications of the Great Commission, what it means to live on mission and to make disciples. And so this week, we thought naturally we would want to talk to someone who is simply living that out in the Place uh that most of us tend to forget about, uh and that's specifically women's prison. Uh Ministry to the Incarcerated. So uh, today we have with us our special guest is Jerrica Olson. Uh, Jerica is a leader of our uh, Citizens Church's prison ministry, and uh, she is a wife and a mom, uh, a teacher and a leader, and uh, truly just a humble servant. And uh, we uh, are so grateful that you are a member of our church and grateful to learn from you as you lead in this space. But I'd love for you to tell us just maybe a little bit about yourself and um, certainly you know how you how you got involved in ministering to those who are incarcerated. Yeah,
2: thank you so much. Um, so good to be here, and I'm so grateful to be part of Citizens and all God is doing to minister to the incarcerated through the people of Citizens. Um, so back in 2015, I'm going to try to make what is normally a really long story less long. Um, sure. But there is a story behind um, how I got involved in jail and prison, and no, it wasn't just one day I woke up. And thought it would be a good idea. No, I didn't study this in college. Um, this wasn't something that when I was a little girl, I was like, "Ooh, someday I would love to go into jail and prison." No, it wasn't like that at all. Um, but in 2015, um, the Lord started rescuing me from PTSD, from anger, from bitterness, from um, just rebelling against him and running for a lot of years, and there were reasons um, for all of that. But I guess the biggest contributor was abuse that I experienced in childhood. And so, he intervened um, and started to change my life Mm. and and transform me from the inside out. He really started a Ezekiel 36, 26 work in me Mm. to give me a new heart and a new spirit, and he removed this heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. And in the process of that, I would say about 18 months was just really intense um, healing for me. And, and just taking that time to learn who God really was, not for how maybe He had been represented to me by other people, or maybe things that I thought about Him kind of at a distance, um, but really getting to know Him for how He introduces Himself through His Word. And so about 18 months in, Uh, He started to kind of transition me from it all being about what he was doing in me to start giving me glimpses of me being part of him doing that work in others. And how that started was um, just me kind of walking through doors that he was opening one by one. And that honestly has been my journey since January twenty fifth, 2015. And that's honestly still how how I live today. But one of the doors that he opened was um, meeting with a mentor And her son had been incarcerated for about 10 years. And I remember meeting with her one day and her looking across the table from me and and saying the strangest thing that anyone has ever said to me. And she said, you know what? You would love prison. And I (laughs) I just looked at her like... You're crazy, and what do you mean by that? Like to move in, or like to visit? Like what are you what are you talking about? And she said, I really think that you would enjoy going um, and doing prison ministry. And she was actually taking a group of women, and she invited me to go the next time that she was going, and she invited me to speak. And you know, a lot of people had warned me about prison and saying. You know, it, it could be intimidating, but you'll be fine. And it was like, you know, everyone was trying to prepare me like it was going to be this, this difficult thing. Um, and like, I would be shocked or scared or whatever when I got in. And I just remember walking in and feeling like, these are my people. And I know that sounds weird, and mm-hmm. I definitely don't want to move in as a permanent resident. But <laughs> there was an ease to it. There was um, something that felt really right. It wasn't hard for me to just see these women, how God sees them. Um, not uh, looking at them based on the circumstances that they're in, but the potential that God has given each of them. And just I had this love for them. And I didn't really know what was happening in that moment. All I knew was my mentor was right. I did love it there. And I knew that I would probably go back. In order to do that, uh, I, I had to go to a training that was done by Prison Fellowship. And at that training, they gave a statistic about women who were incarcerated and they said, in their estimation, close to 90 percent of incarcerated women are survivors of abuse.
1: Mm.
2: Most of those are um, victims of sexual abuse that happened in childhood. And I remember hearing um, the instructor say that, and I it wasn't one of those trainings that you could like interrupt and ask questions, but I raised my hand and I interrupted and I said, "Can you repeat that? Surely I didn't hear that right. That sounds way too that statistic sounds way too high. And he repeated it. And in that moment, um, the Lord was just uh, affirming, confirming, and and telling me the reason why um, that felt so right is because these women had been schemed against, had believed the same lies that I had believed. And while I hadn't been incarcerated, mm-hmm. um, I was captive to, um, to PTSD, to trauma informing my identity. And so uh, from that point on, uh, it seemed like the Lord started uh, just increasing the ways that I was able to be involved in jail and prison.
0: So mm, that is amazing. And I think what's interesting about that is, you know, the idea that everyone in prison is there because they're evil or they're other. There's some type of other, you know, in our minds is easy, maybe for somebody from the suburbs who haven't had a lot of interaction. Maybe, they you know, I, I guess if maybe if you're, you've, like, worked in law enforcement or something, maybe you've had a different interactions. But for, I think, the run-of-the-mill people, you know, people in prison are probably kind of um, not thought about. We just either okay. don't think of them or we think of them as very much other. And what's frightening is actually to know how many people in America are in the prison system. In America, I think it's... You know, upwards of two million mm-hmm. people. I think we have more people in prison than any westernized country yeah. in the world. And so there's a large population of people, many of whom are lost, mm-hmm. and then all of whom have tragic stories yeah. because all of sin is tragic, right. right? So whether you're in there because you've been a victim mm-hmm. and you've learned to live in a certain way mm-hmm. or because you're in there because of the tragedy of sin that you've committed against other people, right. it's tragic either way. Yeah. And there's something you need but oftentimes I think I can, maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience, but before, or maybe let me ask you this, Jerica, before you went and saw those women, what were your preconceived, did you have preconceived notions? Had you thought about it ever? Or?
2: I really hadn't. Yeah. Um, I didn't even, I didn't know the difference between jail and prison. Right. I didn't know. I really didn't know anything.
0: T- tell us, uh, just for the listener, what's the difference between jail and prison? That's a great question. Yeah.
2: So um, jail is where you go um, after you've been arrested or charged with a crime and you're waiting to be sentenced or you're waiting to be released or waiting to go to rehab or to uh, be convicted. And then a judge and jury um, convicts you and then you're you're sent to, you have a sentence that you have to live out in in prison and so prison is where you go because you've already been sentenced and so that's the consequence and so um, that's the longer term. Jail is um, very transient and there's a lot of uh, men and women in jail simply because they don't have, you know, money for bail That's or right. something like that. So
0: It's really fascinating, actually. And I, I didn't know that we would get into this, but this is a really good mm-hmm. point. I think I, I was a public defender for a little while, which mm-hmm. means I, I used to be a lawyer and I uh, represented basically homeless people, but mm-hmm. indigent defendants is what we mm-hmm. would say. So people who've been accused of crimes who don't have any money is basically what it is. And so often what happens is, let's say you get arrested, you will spend a night or a couple days in jail mm-hmm. if it's the weekend, and then you go to court. And there's what's called an arraignment hearing where you go and they basically say, are you going to run away? Are you ever going to come back, basically? And that's the arraignment hearing. That's bail. People have heard that term, bail bondsmen, those kind of things. A ton of people get their bail set, right, at a certain rate. And many of them cannot pay for it. Right. And so, what happens is, what do you do? If you're, if they basically, you're at the whim and mercy of the court's yes. schedule, then, so if mm-hmm. you think about it, and jails are notoriously overpopulated right. places um, and the courts are overcrowded. And so, all, it depends. It depends on the county you're in, it depends on where you are. But the most, bigger cities, I worked in both Boston and then in Dallas as well, had a similar time frame from the time you're arraigned to the time you actually can go before the court right. and potentially be released or convicted. It's can be months. And so if you think about it, let's say you have a job, let's say you're arrested for a DUI, DWI, maybe it's your second one, Is there sin committed there? Absolutely. But what can happen is if you don't have the money to bail out, then you're going to lose your job. You're not going to be able to pay for your apartment, et cetera, et cetera. And so let's say you weren't even guilty which can happen from time to time, or let's say that it wasn't bad, that it was whatever you committed wasn't that bad, but it was, you're going to get probation. Mm -hmm. By the time you're on probation, you've lost your job. You're going to be evicted from your apartment. You have nowhere to go. And then, so when people, when sometimes you hear people talk about the system being a revolving door, that's kind of what they're talking about. If you don't have a lot of money, simply being arrested can ruin your life. It's very expensive to be poor. Absolutely, Yeah.
1: Jerika, can you tell us to the point that is one common thread and theme, can you tell us maybe some other common threads or themes that you have heard from uh, those who have been incarcerated, whether that's jail or prison? I'm sure this might look a little bit different, but...
2: Yeah. Um, and, you know, before I share some of this, it is... I just... I have, you know, faces that come to my mind. And it's an honor to have been able to listen to their stories and just be entrusted with some of the most painful events of their lives. And so thank you for talking about this. I'm looking forward to being able to go and share with them that I was able to speak some of these things because they would want that. Mm -hmm. And um, so being able to kind of speak on behalf of them is a really high honor. They are some of the strongest and most resilient people that I've ever met. And I always say if life is a university, jail and prison is my favorite classroom. Mm. And these women are my favorite teachers. They're, they don't always know it, but I tell them they're wise beyond their years because of their life experience. And for those of them that know the Lord, you take their life experience and then the Lord providing providing meaning and significance, and it's a really beautiful and powerful thing. But most of them um, would describe their, their growing up um, as chaotic. Uh, and, and when they say dysfunctional, they kind of smirk like, there's not a stronger term mm. to be used, but they would say chaotic, dysfunctional upbringings. Now, I'm I'm generally speaking here. Um, it's not the case every time, but I can count on one hand the number of women that wouldn't have a story like this. On one hand, the number of women that would say, I grew up in a wonderful home with a mom and a dad who were safe and loving. I just don't ever hear that. Mm. Um so most of them have stories of some type of abandonment by one or both parents, um, parents that may have been there, but they really weren't there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of addiction, um, a lot of abuse. Most of them have been abused, at least one type of abuse by at least one person, again, before they ever even were thinking about committing a crime. hmm so most of them have lived in survival mode for a long time. Of course, a lot of shame, a lot of anger. But I would say um, those are kind of some of the, the patterns and just the common things. And I and I I learned that early on, um, and and really I should be used to it by now, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's amazing to me that those kind of you know, statistics can happen and we're still doing things the same way, like mm-hmm. like it's working. You know, clearly there's there's something that's not working here. But God didn't make us to just, you know, survive, live live in that all the time. Mm-hmm. He came to to give us life and and to give us life to the full. And I know that there will be pain and suffering and brokenness, but um when you live in that constant state of just survival and shame and hopelessness and despair, I mean, at some point, um, there's some kind of temptation at least to escape or to numb. And so there's substance abuse. Um, there's a lot of addiction. Um, a lot of them in, uh, abusive relationships with, with, uh, friends or, or spouses or, or boyfriends, um, so those are, those are some of the common threats.
0: If you don't mind, and you know, I know there are faces attached to this for you, but um, just anecdotally speaking, as you talk to most of them, what are most of the women you're talking to in prison for?
2: Yeah. Like I said, jail and prison are different. Um, the, the prisons that I go to in Texas are maximum security, and so right. their charges are... They're they're heavier, yeah. And so uh, these women, I mean, it's anything from a, a crime against a child mm-hmm. um, to to murder, mm-hmm. and so uh, a lot of manslaughter. Some of it is very um, serious, like drug cartel, like right. trafficking stuff. So um, the prisons I go to, the the charges are they're not just um, DUI or like prostitution or right. um, they got caught with an amount of drugs, they're pretty serious.
0: Yeah. that I want to come back to that in a second because I think it's important. But statistically speaking, I think if you look at most people in prison, I think it's only 2%. I'd have to check my facts are in for violent crimes. Right. It's, it's, it's actually a pretty low number statistically. Most – most people are in prison for drug crimes, right? Um, nonviolent drug crimes. That's not to say that drugs don't cause an incredible amount of suffering in the world, and I'm not absolving anyone right. of breaking the law, I'm not trying to say that. Um, but I, the only reason I point that out is just to say yes. statistically speaking, but I was going to ask the question, um, you know, here's what's true I think there's a way that we can talk about, um, I'm hearing the argument in my head, and I know this because Mm -hmm. working as a public defender, it's like, hey, there are a lot of people who have grown up with abuse in their lives. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who have grown up abandoned and afflicted, and they did not make the choice. You can hear it in your head. They did not make the choice to commit crimes or do those kind of things, Mm -hmm. and these other people did. So why are you trying to make me feel bad for them? Or, Or maybe it's not even as big as that, but it's just to say, you know, Let's take the other attack, which is to say there are people in prison who have done really horrible things, yeah. and that's true, And especially as we talk about prison, and that is true. And I I worked in the felony division, and I can tell you, like, all somebody has to say is I watch all – all you have to do is watch the news or listen to the Me Too movement that's happened. It's like there are people who have abused people, who have killed people, who have treated other people like they are not image bearers of God. How do you – what do you – how do you sit across from a mat in a maximum security where you are meeting Mm -hmm. violent offenders and people who've been accused and convicted of serious crimes against other human beings? How do you, how do you see them as image bearers? Is it a fight?
2: Yeah. You know, I'm always reminded of this and I think it's honestly, God just gives us, gives us a grace, you know, sometimes. Um, And then I think partly it's what he's done in my own life and what, I'm very aware that um, things could have turned out very differently for me if not for just a, a few environmental factors and variables, you know, in my life. I'm, I'm aware that that could easily be me, mm-hmm. um, and I'm also um, a victim of of a crime, right. and so I understand that. But you know, Paul tells us in Ephesians that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against cosmic forces of this present darkness, Mm. against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, you know, when I think of that word enemy, for a lot of us, maybe a person comes to mind. Mm. And if a person comes to mind, that's the wrong enemy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have a real enemy, but it's not a person. People are just... A means by which the enemy can send his schemes, you know, into mm-hmm. our lives. And so that was very helpful for me, um, even in my own healing and my own journey, to separate the people that I was so upset at for what they had done to me, not even just my abuser, but people who didn't do anything about it, separating them, from this scheme of the enemy against me and separating them from, it's like God shifted my anger away from people and at abuse and Mm. at the ways in which the enemy tries to come in and just hijack us, Mm. hijack truth, hijack my identity, Mm. um, hijack my worth and my value. And so I think for me, I am just constantly reminded that this isn't a flesh and blood thing. and
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, this is a principalities and powers thing. And so if this person made these decisions, you know, I think about Jesus when um, you know, he says forgive them for they don't know what they do. Like mm. I I resonate with that so much and I understand that just because you know, he's looking at them and he said, like, they, don't, they don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're doing these things. Mm-hmm. And so, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And then, you know, even for some of these um, men and women, uh, when they do come to know truth, it is very difficult to really come to terms with the decisions that they made mm-hmm. apart from a relationship with the Lord. Um, and apart from following Him and obeying Him because of the, de- the destruction that they've caused. So it's actually a really brave and courageous thing for them to choose to trust Him and to walk in the light, knowing they're going to have to turn and face all of the hurt that they caused. Mm. And I understand that because in my you know, rebelling and running I know that you know there were things that weren't my fault, but then my response was was my responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I caused hurt and mm-hmm. destruction and ruins, um, and that was that's that's godly grief, though, mm-hmm. um, it, and it's unto life. It's mm-hmm. not a worldly grief that's unto death. And so, we have to just remember to stay in the right narrative, mm-hmm. and that people are not our enemy. Mm-hmm. And if there are decisions that they made that have caused hurt and pain and destruction, that, that choice for them probably didn't start the day before. Mm-hmm. And I love a word that our pastor uses. He says, there are just complexities.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And when we try to simplify something and try to put people in categories and just try and put blanket sentences or just think things are going to work for everyone it just doesn't because yeah. there are complexities.
1: Can you I just I, in hearing you uh, just in hearing you articulate uh, back to someone the grace uh, of the mercy of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. in their story um and I even think that would even just as you're you're talking I'm thinking about the person that might create the defense in their mind mm-hmm. of uh you know what I don't we shouldn't be going into those places. It's not going to be uh, helpful or they deserve that punishment or whatever else. Um, But maybe can you tell us a little bit about like, as you've, maybe you have a story, I don't know, but as you've articulated God's heart to someone in prison, uh, how, how have you done that? I don't know if a story comes to mind, but like, what has that looked like for you in those spaces?
2: Yeah, so it's it's been really neat. I I go back to Isaiah sixty one a lot because it describes um, in the first part of Isaiah sixty one everything that Jesus was going to be anointed to come and do, and he started to do those things in me. You know, sight to the blind, heal the brokenhearted, um, set the captive free. Like all mm-hmm. of those things, I have personal experience mm-hmm. and testimonies of what that looked like and mm-hmm. why I needed it. Um, and then. The middle part talks about Him making us, He plants us as oaks of righteousness. And then it doesn't just end there, but then it says, um, we're the ones that He sends back to raise up and to restore. And so, we then get to partner with Him in that. Mm -hmm. And really, it was just getting to know Him and His heart because of my own need and um, what He was doing in me. And I just, there were certain parts of the Bible, and I, I just started at the beginning. I just started in Genesis 1. Mm. And I really I haven't stopped since. So I think now I'm in my eighth time reading it through cover to cover because I, 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 I can't get enough. Um, but there were things that I had never heard a sermon about, I had never read a book about. There were, there were parts of the Bible where God was revealing his heart in ways that I needed. Mm. And, and they were parts of the Bible that honestly, like, you know, for most people, it, no one would ever turn to that page.
1: <laughs> They're not
2: like quotable
1: mm.
2: passages, but I think what, what he allowed me to do just from my own experience and, and awareness of him um, is go in, and I just started sharing with these women what meant something to me, mm. what brought freedom to me, um, things that I had misconceptions about him that once I I realized truth, there was a shift that happened, or a freedom that came. Mm. And so, one of my favorite um, chapters to talk with him about is in Ezekiel thirty-four. And it's about God um, seeking out the lost sheep, but not even just him seeking out the sheep that have been scattered. He actually talks in the first part of the chapter, he deals with um, the leaders, he deals with the shepherds who they weren't, they knew better and they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And because of that, the sheep were scattered. Mm. And I know when I read that, that was um, really comforting to me that he knew. And he and he saw, and that and that he cared, and he's gonna he's gonna make right. He's vengeance is his, and mm. so he's got that part of it. Mm. But that was something I needed to know about him. And then he goes on to talk about how he himself will search out for his sheep. He will look for the sheep that have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And when I read that, it was like. First of all, I can think about specific days of clouds and thick darkness, mm-hmm. and most of these women can too. And so when when I'm when we're reading this chapter, you just see tears mm. falling down their face um, as God is revealing His heart toward them, that He knows them, and He's coming to rescue them. So, um, also in that chapter, you know, he says, I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. So, I always tell them, you know, jail and prison is a place mm-hmm. of just scattered, mm-hmm. <laughs> injured mm-hmm. men and women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he says he's going to bring them out and gather them. He's going to feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places he feeds him with good pasture and i love that because what he's saying is you still get my best. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not another living wa- like a lesser living water that i have for you that's mm-hmm. muddied or that's something right. like no. Your past doesn't change my offer tr- offer toward you. Mm-hmm. And i'm coming for you. And I'm gonna lead you out and I'm gonna feed you on on good pasture. And then he says in Ezekiel 34, 16, I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, we don't even have to guess mm-hmm. what his heart is. It's good. It's just I read I read that and it's just him, it's his words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and for people who have been scattered or are scattered have means something and that changes things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well I think it's so beautiful too, even just as you're like you initially as you're even drawing out the recreative work of God, that it's like, it goes back to Genesis. That it's like, it's the Lord doing the searching and uh, the rescuing. And then it's not just that it stays there, but it's that invitation into a life of flourishing, right? To be planted by streams of water, to send out your roots, to be growing and flourishing this life that God um, invites the believer into and enables the believer to have. And that is theirs to be extended, Absolutely. just God's Ziel- heart. On display.
0: The only, I didn't mean to interrupt. Not sorry. No, no, know. I think it's so beautiful. And as you're mm-hmm. talking, I'm thinking the only way, I don't, I think we can subconsciously do this, but the only way in that story, you talked about getting the story right. We have to understand who we are in the story. That's right. And who we were, if we are Christians in the story, is we were enemies of God. Mm hmm we were the scattered, the lost, the addicted, the afflicted, the whatever, you know, we were enemies. We were rebel in rebellion and God loved us and found us and saved his enemies, died, took on the wounds that we uh, should have taken on to, heal our, to heal, ours, heal our wounds. And so I think subconsciously what we can do is kind of say, even if we don't mean it, it's just, it's happening deep down somewhere in us is that I guess that's for some people and not for others. And it's really hard when we think of, the worst humans, it's really hard for us to kind of think of, can it really be for them? Can it really be for them? And what's true is if we see ourselves rightly in the story, we were to an infinitely holy God, that's who we were. And so we get to offer that to others. I The way I always used to think about it standing in those places was when I was at my worst and needed help and um, when I was an enemy of God, I God stood in my court, stood with me and said, hey, you don't have to go through this alone. And Jericho, what you're doing is you're doing mm-hmm. the same thing. You're showing up and being the love of Christ to say, hey, you don't have to go through this alone. And I have something really beautiful to offer you. And while it might not get a, get you out of prison, in a way, you're set free even in a place where you're incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And that's like really... That's a really beautiful message, and it shows you are a tangible expression of showing God's love to people who are who are lost and hurting.
1: Okay, uh, Jerica. So I uh, just as you're you're talking, I am just even thinking on uh, my own past experience. And uh, so previously, I worked for an organization that worked with uh, women coming out of sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. And uh, so part of that was actually uh, getting. The privilege and the opportunity to go into uh, juvenile correction facilities and uh, do uh, kind of group therapy work uh, with uh, the the young girls that were there, and uh, I remember having such a similar experience uh, as you of, um, well, I this was my own personal experience. I, I stepping in the doors, there was a lot of fear and trembling. Um, uh, not because I was afraid of anyone. It was I was afraid I was going to do something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid I was going to offend or I was afraid I would come off wrong mm-hmm. or come off as privileged or whatever it was. And I simply just didn't want to. I wanted to be the hands and feet of mm-hmm. Jesus. And I just remember sitting down and God just dismantling all of that and I just felt like, oh, same of my same, you know, yeah, like we're, yeah, yeah. we're getting to do this thing <laughs> right. together. And so I don't, uh, Nick, can you talk to us a little bit about your first time stepping into a uh, jail or stepping into prison, whichever one comes to mind first and what that experience was like for you and maybe even, maybe even your steps to get there. Uh, Cause I think our listeners would be really interested to know that.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, So it's different. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, everything from what you're allowed to wear, take in, it's just, you think about things that maybe you've never thought of um, going in. But I will say when you're going in, like Prison Fellowship is a great organization to um, to look up and get connected with, at least starting out, because they've been doing it a long time. So, if you are with a group or or with someone who's been doing it a lot, then that will really kind of comfort you and give you an ease that um, you're you're going in under someone who does this all the time. And and I did have the the privilege of that. Um, I just I, I I was really teachable and coachable, and I just learned. And kind of took the position of um, a learner from the people I went in with um, to also the incarcerated women, but yeah, it's a it's an eerie feeling mm-hmm. because there are bars closing behind you, you know, every ten feet until you get you know wherever mm-hmm. you're wherever you're headed, and um, each facility facility does it a little bit different, but you know you're escorted. By an officer or a guard, and you are like in jail. I'm not talking to them uh, like through glass and over right, a phone, right. yeah, like yeah. in the movies. Yeah. Um. And then like a multi-purpose room with ten or twenty women, mm-hmm. and we're just there. And you know, a lot of times, I I think it has the feel of like a a table group Bible study type thing, mm-hmm. except. It's in jail or it's in prison, <laughs> but it's it's different, but I don't know. it's the Lord is is there and and there's just something about that. I've never had any fear. There's never been anything that's ever no incident that has ever happened while I was there. And they're not violent. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're so glad that someone came to them and honestly, A lot of times, I don't even think I would have to say any words. It's a lot, a ministry of presence. Mm -hmm. Um, I always think about the woman at the well and just how Jesus taking the time to be there with her in that place later when she knew who He was. Just how that would have restored dignity and worth to her that He went there for her Mm. and so the lord gave me that kind of that blueprint and that attitude you know every time i go there i'm praying that someone has a samaria experience Mm. that he meets them and in meeting them and then you know in us being part of him meeting them That they feel the same thing that the woman would have felt, that they were worth the trip, that he loves them, and it's not too late. And he sees them, he knows where they are, because he sent someone to them. And just those, it it sounds so simple, but it is so profound. And I know for me, that's what happened for me, Mm -hmm. you know for the first time, you know, I I I felt seen. Um, I felt his unconditional love. I felt his pursuit of me despite my running. And it just melted me. Mm-hmm. And that happens for a lot of them simply in just showing up. And so, it's really not complicated and it's not about I, I never have the right thing to say to be honest and 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 most of the time, there are no words
1: mm-hmm.
2: it would be insulting of me to try and fix them with any kind of words because mm-hmm. of the brokenness that they've experienced, but the Lord does the work mm-hmm. and and we just we just get to show up.
0: that's really beautiful, mm-hmm. that's really, really beautiful, and I think you know as you're talking i think what becomes so clear is that um god gives us a part to play in his mission mm-hmm. and and um so often we think there's something we need to do uh but it becomes a lot easier when we realize that he's actually inviting us to bear witness to his power and his work as we open our mouths and share imperfectly about his love and um if we think really hard, I think what's true is that's that's how we were all captured too. Somebody probably very imperfectly shared the gospel that's with something. us, uh, maybe just invited us to something, just yeah. as you put it, showed up uh, in, in that we meet the living Christ and it changes us forever. And so, Jericho, I'm so thankful that you're doing that. I'm so thankful that you are uh, leading our people into that uh, here at Citizens um, and that they're uh, are a lot of women in a lot of prisons in Texas who know the Lord mm-hmm. or know more about the Lord because of that work. And so, um, if you're interested in uh, being involved in prison ministry, uh, prison fellowship, right, is yes. a place that you should go and look up. Uh, and, and then there are other churches who are doing this work. And so, there are places you can partner Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode was recorded and produced by Chelsea Conway and edited by Brad Weigel. One of the best ways you can help others find our show is to leave us a review, so please take a minute to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Another good way to interact with us is by following us on Instagram and by supporting our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. See you next time.